Welcome to the Advancing Women Podcast, where ambitious women come together to challenge the status quo, advance their careers, and up-level their lives. The Advancing Women Podcast is hosted by gender equity expert and executive coach, Dr. Kimberly D. Simone. Welcome, warriors, to the Advancing Women Podcast. I often note how this podcast is where empathy meets pragmatism, and boy, do we have some serious pragmatic solutions coming your way this episode. In the last episode, we talked about mansplaining, what it is and what it isn't, and how stereotypes, biases, barriers, historical context, and power are all part of our understanding of these normalized bad behavior patterns that need to be interrupted. And today we are going to build on that with pragmatic strategies to interrupt and manage those bad behaviors that can create barriers to women's advancement. To that end, I am so delighted to have a powerhouse guest today, Lisa Gillette. Lisa is an equal pay activist, diversity, equity, and inclusion advocate, keynote speaker, certified executive coach focused on women in leadership. She is intimately familiar with the challenges all women face in the workplace, having spent 25 years climbing that corporate ladder, the last 10 as an executive for Fox Sports Television, along with providing strategic and creative direction in the launch of over 300 sports networks in Asia, Latin America, and the United States. Lisa was also responsible for on-air planning and operations for Fox Sports Broadcast and the 22 regional sports networks. She also created and led the mentorship program, Women Working in Sports, focused on increasing diversity among senior leadership at FBC and the Fox Cable Network Group. Lisa's company, Big Sky Coaching and Consulting, is a natural extension of her expertise and her desire to guide, support, and encourage women to rise up the ranks of leadership all the way to the C-suite. And that is what this podcast is all about, transcending, thriving, and advancing. And I am just thrilled, beyond thrilled, to welcome Lisa to the show. Oh, Dr. Simone, I am excited to be here. Your message is one that needs to be heard by everyone. I was so drawn to, first of all, the similarities in our passion and mindset, but also your energy. And because we have similar backgrounds, moving from male-dominated corporate America to the advocacy work and the coaching with the focus on women. And also, I just really love and appreciate your sense of humor. So I think we're going to have a really good time today talking about all of these important issues that although are serious, it doesn't mean we can't have fun talking about them and bring a sense of humor to the discussion as well. Oh, yes. (laughs) So tell me a little bit about how you got here. The reason that I'm doing what I'm doing now is because I want to see more women of all colors in senior management. And what's really interesting about the time we're in right now is that we are facing a lot of problems. I just was looking at something that McKinsey did in 2021 that said when there is 30% gender diversity in senior management, can bring up to a 48% higher return to the bottom line. I think it's interesting. Too often we problematize women. Like, what are we going to do? We've got this problem with not advancing women. It's like, no, I think what you're getting at is we're actually the solution. You've got a problem. We're the solution. Don't problematize us. That's exactly right. Because greater diversity in senior management means a wider perspective, more solutions, more creative problem solving. And this is my bias. I have worked with both men and women, 
And I'll tell you, and I'm stealing this little phrase from my mentor, Dr. Lois Frankel. And she said, when a man is asked to do the impossible, he will do three things. He will either go, oh my gosh, that's impossible. Or he'll start to bargain and say, well, I can do this, but I can't do that. Or he'll go find a woman to help him. And when a woman is asked to do the impossible, she rolls up her sleeves and figures it out and gets it done. I talk a lot about prove it again bias. With women, it's what have you done for me lately? And you have to prove it. And how do you prove it again? again and how do you prove it again? And again, and again. Yeah, so we don't have the luxury of, I can't do the impossible. We have to do the impossible, right? Feel like we have to do the impossible because we're in this constant cycle of proving it, proving it, and proving it again. Right. And sometimes at great expense to our own mental, physical, and emotional well-being. But you speak to two really interesting biases there, which just so display what the double standard is, which is performance bias. You know, how many times have we heard a guy will look at a job description and he'll say, "Ah, you know, I've only done two of these things, but I'll learn the other six on the job. And a woman may or may not apply because she's only done six of the eight. Part of that is because men can often get those jobs with only 50% of the qualifications and women can. Correct. Correct. And let's also acknowledge there's attribution bias. When a woman makes a mistake, it's like a man wouldn't have done that. When a man makes a mistake or does something wonderful, when he makes the mistake, it's like, "Eh, Joe will do it better next time. When he does something wonderful, that kind of gets onto his business card. Absolutely. Women's mistakes are more punctuated and they're seen as more of an indicator of lack of competence. Uh, And men's mistakes often are more attributed to bad market circumstances or external things. The other side of that coin is women's contributions often are seen as, well, the, the conditions were good. She was lucky. So we're always battling that kind of double standard of attribution, as you mentioned. This is why it's so essential that women are able to really look at what they're good at, understand, and be able to communicate. Because many times when a woman is complimented, she'll go, oh, it was nothing. And anybody listening, I want to tell them, don't do that to yourself. And don't do that to the person who is thanking you for your contribution. Because not only have you diminished yourself, you've also diminished the person thanking you and devalued their opinion. So I think that's a great point. And I think it's your point undermining ourselves and the other side of that coin is apologizing too much. Both of those things don't serve us. And so they're good habits to break. And to that end, um, you are a very highly sought after executive coach and you've identified, I know in all of your coaching and all of your work, several types of misbehavior in the workforce that can be especially hindering to women. And I was hoping we could take a little time to talk about these and hear your tried and true strategies in managing these bad workforce behaviors. And you've talked about things like mansplaining, the credit claimer, the interrupter, the volcano, the joker. We've all experienced this. So what do we do when we're in it? Because we know that women have to be especially thoughtful and strategic in the way we deal with these things. And I often say that this podcast is where pragmatism meets empathy. And so, yes, we have empathy. It's unfair that we have to deal with these bad behaviors. But at the end of the day, I'm really excited about how you can give us some tips to uh, interrupt those bad behaviors when we come in contact with them in the workplace. I found just this morning in my research, heap heating, and we all know what this is. You're at a conference table and Mary says, 
I have an idea about how to forward this project. She shares the idea. No one really responds. Five seats down the table, Joe repeats, he repeats, appropriates, Mary's same idea. And everybody goes, wow, Joe, great idea. Now, here's two ways to deal with it. One, and this is what I used to do because I am more aggressive and I got a mouth on me and I will not be silenced. So let me just be honest about that. I think I would, the word you're searching for is assertive, but I know when you're <laughs> female persuasion, assertive becomes uh, aggressive. aggressive. Okay. Double standard right there, which yeah. I just fell into. So let me call myself <laughs> out. But I would lean down the table and I go, Joe, I am so glad you repeated that because I don't think anybody heard it the first time, but I've got a few more ideas to add to my original idea. Then I would stand up at the table. As I shared those ideas, I would literally get up out of my chair so people's eyes were on me. I love now, that. And I also like the idea of doing it for others. So yes. I've been in positions where I've gone, you know, Joe, I think that that's exactly the point that Lisa was just making. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. This is amplification. I actually talk about creating a circle of support, and it's more than just networking. These are the people you meet through your career, where you have this common denominator with, and you can share from a very honest, basic, raw level, what's going on. They could be men or women, but if you can find a few of those in your current role who are in these meetings, you can provide amplification. Your circle of support is there for you. And you all know there's usually one person who likes to appropriate. They like to heap They like to take your idea claim credit for it. And so forewarned is forearmed. You go into those meetings and, and you're all sharing and going, you know, Joe always does this. Hey, Mary, or Hey, Lisa, if I hear that, I'm going to pop up. And if say Mary said it, I'm going to turn to Joe and say, you know, Joe, that was Mary's idea. Let's ask her about. And I push the attention right back to Mary. I really love that. Really important. You know, it's the together we rise, right? Correct. And even our male allies can be awesome at this. You know, it's awesome. A male ally goes, hey, I think that's what Lisa was just saying, actually. It reminds me of that FedEx commercial. Do you remember it where they were all sitting around a table and a very timid man says something like, they're like, well, how can we save money? And he's like, well, we could open up a FedEx account and save 20% on all our shipping, like all timid. And then everyone just looks at the person and just moves on and doesn't think anything of it. But then the boss says, Hey, I have an idea. What if we opened a FedEx account and save 20%? He does this like hand chopping motion and everybody's like, oh, wow, that's a great idea. And the person with the kind of soft spoken voice goes, well, wait a minute. Isn't that what I just said? And they're like, oh yes. But when he said it, he did that chopping motion. And that is what made all the difference. And I think we've all sat in meetings and thought, you know, is this thing on like the metaphorical microphone going, wow, I feel like that's what I just said, but maybe, you know, and I think that even is a strategy going, wait a minute. I feel like that's what I was saying, but maybe I'm misinterpreting what you're saying. Are you a Agreeing with what I just said, or are you saying something different? That is such an awesome response, too. It's, hey, Joe, I'm so glad that you're repeating my idea. Let me add a few more things to it. But you speak to something, the body language. I had made yeah. the comment about standing up so that eyes go towards you. And I love that. I want to be in a room where I see more of that, like where the person's like, okay, I'm about to stand up because when I tried to take the floor before, I didn't get it. So now I have to take that extra effort 
to insert myself. So I think that's really wonderful. Another excellent tip. Right. And one more tip in this line of thinking, using your body. I'm always thinking about elongating, but whether you're sitting down or standing up, you want a very tall spine, push your feet into the floor, head to the ceiling. Eye contact is essential and an open chest. I'm sure the listeners, just like myself, as you're talking, are sitting here kind of doing a, a, a check. Well, is my spine straight and am I holding my head up tall? I find myself doing this while you're talking, even though there's nobody watching. So, yeah, really important though, because that sends the message that is subliminal, but people get it. It registers somewhere in their brain that you're not to be messed with, that you are yeah. a figure of authority, you're competent, and you're not scared. Yeah, I think especially yeah. too when women have to navigate the tightrope between being liked and oh, being respected, yeah. that sometimes yeah. what we say can be more difficult to navigate. But those simple, subtle, nuanced ways that we also deliver the message, not just with our words and challenges, but with our presence, can be helpful in kind of navigating that tightrope, right? Correct. Exactly. Um, should we move on to mansplaining? Yes, oh, yes. Oh my gosh. Mansplaining last week, but exactly. I want to build on what we do. We talked a lot about why it happens. Okay. And all of the power Correct. and historical context. But let's so talk brilliant. a little bit about what we do about it when it actually does happen. So here's one thing I want to share. Um, as a woman, I want the details. And most women do want the details. Men, too many details, TMI, they're all about, oh, there's a problem, let's fix it, which means sometimes solutions are not as fully formed as they should be. But I think underneath it all, when a man starts mansplaining, it's because he sees a problem he's trying to help. I know some are doing some manipulation there, but I think the majority are just trying to help. I think you're right. I do. I, I don't think it's an intentional um, thing. It's not like men are going around constantly feeling the historical context that women feel exactly. of being in that position. They've never had to fight for voice. And if you've never had to fight to have voice, correct, then you don't always realize the nuances of it the same way that a person who has had to does. So I really love that uh, mindset and that perspective. And I think you're right. Yeah, that is essential. But depending on who it is, if it's a peer, a colleague, you can take it one of two ways and just listen to the tone of my voice. Joe, thanks so much. When I need your help, I know where to find you. Or you can say, Joe, dude, thanks. You know, when I need your help, I'll come looking for you. You have to know where you fall in the power structure. You have to have an idea of how it's going to land on the person. Like, is this right. a person who's just making an honest mistake? Um, or is this a person who, you know, maybe doesn't care and maybe isn't going to receive it well. So right. having that uh, mindset of, you know, what is the relationship I have with this person and what can I say? How can I say it? But yet I do have to say something. And I love the part you had about consent, that conversation is a great way to practice consent, which mm -hmm. is you know, I appreciate what you're telling me. And I know, it, you know, if I have questions or if I need to, I'll come to you. It's a really nice way of saying, please don't continue to give me advice on this thing that I don't want. And I laugh when I look at some of the mansplaining examples where oh, yeah. women in conferences will be at a conference as a speaker and a person will start talking to them about their area of expertise. And the person will start quoting them. 
and say, oh, you should read the work of, you know, Gillette and DeSimone. And they're like, yeah, that's mine. I'm Gillette. Right, <laughs> right, right. I'm so it's glad that you like it. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Thank you. I, I have heard of her. She is right. awesome. I agree with you. Uh, let's just acknowledge in every situation in the workplace has a woman, you want to respond strategically instead of react. Yes, I love that. Right. So it's always a great idea to have a couple of lines of script in your pocket. We can't make as many mistakes and we can't get it wrong as, as often. Right. So let's acknowledge. Yeah. Forewarned is forearmed. Let's say your boss is mansplaining to you. Now, obviously you can't, you don't want to call him dude. That's not going to serve you. So you might be something saying, oh, thanks for those words. You know, I do have a question for you. And then throw a question at them that you know they can't answer. And then if they go, well, uh, well, well, here's what I was thinking and give them the answer. Just as a, you know, that's interesting because sometimes you have to remind people because part of some of the bias that women deal with is this constant feeling of, can I self-promote? And I know you talk about this a lot and I highly recommend to the listeners to go to your Instagram and look at 60 second tips on self-promotion. Self-promotion is challenging for women. It's a balance between how much you can self-promote, um, unfortunately, and how much is then considered too much. But I think that this idea that you're that you're stating here and that you're talking about that is so really poignant is people sometimes don't even realize that they've not given you the credit or forgotten, or they, they kind of lost their self a little bit in the conversation. I love the idea of those things that just gently remind Correct. where you fit in, in terms of the expert equation and who in the conversation is actually the expert. Exactly. Um, I got to add one more thing in here about self-promotion do a mindset reset. I would say this to every woman listening. Self-promotion can make us all feel kind of uncomfortable. Most of us do not embrace it. So really what it is, it's owning your expertise and being able to use it to make the difference that makes things better. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it because I do think it's accepted and received better when we bring our expertise from the perspective of how it it serves the bigger picture. It allows you to kind of use some of those stereotypes and biases that work against you to potentially work for you, right? Armed with that Correct. knowledge. Correct. Um, be able to say, okay, maybe I shouldn't have to, but you know, it's not my fault. It is my problem. I am going to position Bang. this in a way that it's going to have maximum impact, right? right. That ultimately the goal. Right. And that's something else I talk about a lot. I call it code switching. This is a tech term when you're going from one program to another and you need to be literate in both. Just consider the way we are at home versus the way we converse in the workplace, the way we communicate. And specifically as women, we love details. But in a work situation, it's usually here's the issue. Here's how I'm solving it. Do you agree? Next steps. Yeah, I think it's really interesting right. to hear that. And I think about prove it again bias and how sometimes yeah. there's this feeling of I've got to prove my expertise. So I'm giving you all these details. And so you give that extra detail when you've earned the right sometimes. Correct. To keep it brief and to get to the point and to say, I actually have the knowledge and the expertise and the right to just say this quick, clear, and without a lot of backup. Correct. Because if they want more details, they're going to ask. And you have them, right? Yeah, and they're always in your pocket, just like you've got scripts. And this is the other thing with all of this, whether we're talking bro-preating, mansplaining, man-terrupting, all of this, if you just have a couple of phrases and if you know you're going into a meeting because 
certainly the interrupting and the appropriating happens in meetings. Write your script down on the top of the notepad you take in. Just do a little bit of a mindset reset. Write down the script, whatever it is. You know there's going to be a person there who triggers you. Just be prepared. You know, you can visualize being in the meeting where whoever says something and you come back with just one phrase that just sets everything right and levels the playing field. Yeah, I like that. I think one of the most useful things is this idea of you don't need all those details. You know, I think everyone's going to take away different parts of this, but I won't lie. That one hits home and that's like a jot it down and remember it and practice it a little bit, right? Because right. sometimes it's hard to get into the habit of saying, you know what, I'm just going to say this right. and I'm not going to add. And how often does it land exactly the way it's supposed to? And maybe I didn't need to add that additional information or that additional information has opened up some of the opportunities for these other bad behaviors. Should we move on to uh, man-terrupting? I saw that one. I really thought about silly things like a mistake on your PowerPoint or the, oh. you know, what I call the chronic corrector, where oh, you're wow. having a great moment professionally and all of a sudden they've got to jump in somehow. And I don't know if it's intentional or unintentional, but they deflate the balloon, right? Because mm-hmm. with something that seems so inconsequential and an unnecessary comment, Correct. so there's interrupting with kind of trying to take over the conversation. Right. And then there's sometimes this interrupting that is almost there to kind of I don't want to say knock you down a peg, but kind of interrupt that way. Yeah, it does. In the moment you're like, wow, that was necessary right then. So I'm really curious because I've struggled on this one. When I talked about flow in one of my episodes, you're in your groove. It's moving in a direction you really like. All of a sudden there's this interruption that happens and it not only undermines maybe your authority or what you're talking about, but it disrupts your flow in ways that sometimes can be difficult to quickly recover from. And so how do you get that mojo back? So yes, Correct. I'm very interested in your tips here. So here's the thing that I would say that's really essential. If you're presenting, you start the presentation by saying, I'm excited to be here today. I'm going to ask that everybody hold their comments and questions till the end. I'm making sure that I've got 15 minutes at the end. We're going to have a conversation and delve into everything. Repeat yourself. So I'm asking that everybody hold their questions and comments to the end because I really want to hear them. It's important for me to get feedback, but just wait until the end. I'll let you know when we're there. I keep thinking about your sense of humor. You know, there's a small part of me that's like, (laughs) invariably, somebody sitting here is going to find a typo. Please let me know privately. Sometimes I just feel like saying, let's let's ask for a little civility here in a funny way before we even get started. Just regular everyday civility and kindness and compassion that maybe you might have forgotten about when you decided to interrupt and tell me that I misspelled a word. And a way to kind of deal with that is when you're asking people, hold your questions and comments, you're telling them you're not asking them. It's got the social veneer. But at that point, you can also say, and you know, my proofreader, I think I have to get a new one. Oh, that would be me. Just, it happens. I don't know why, for some reason, all of a sudden, like more nitpicky kind of little interruptions that I find to be such a, an interesting dynamic in in the workplace because it feels, you know, sometimes to me more personal than I think it honestly is. I think we can be tough and hard-nosed and committed and powerful, but still also bring that compassion and empathy. 
everyone standing up in a room has had a presentation with a mistake in it here or there or misspoke. Every podcast I listen to, I'm like, why did I say that? I have to laugh because I was listening to my podcast from last week to try to see where, you know, the mistakes were and how it can be better. Mm -hmm. And there was one place where I wanted to say women are relegated to the sidelines. And I said, women are are regulated to the sidelines. And that drives me crazy because I'm like, I meant relegated. Why did my mouth say regulated? Now in a normal conversation, I probably would have caught it and corrected myself or I would have never thought thought about it again, right? I wouldn't have even realized I made the mistake, but now I get to listen to the mistake and, you again know, and again and again. Yeah. Right. right? I probably won't listen again and again. I think that one time was good enough, but I was like, you know, we do kind of make mistakes when we talk and when we write things and so forth. And so that, that little bit of compassion, um, but That's if that way. passion isn't there, Lisa, I love what you're saying about create it for yourself, create the compassion expectation up front. I think to your point, it's your room. There's something powerful about that. If it's your room, creating those rules and those guidelines up front, I think that is a really great thing to think about. Yeah. There's one other note I want to add because sometimes we don't always have the opportunity to have that conversation up front. It it could be more of a, okay, this is your time to speak and now it's the next person's time to speak. But when I was interrupted, I would actually do the chopping motion and I would literally say, Hold on, hold on. I'm not done speaking yet. You're going to get your turn. I am not done speaking yet. We saw this brilliantly executed by Kamala Harris in one of the debates. And she just kept repeating herself. And she was so contained and calm. And she said, I'm speaking now. I think of the other side of that too, which is I've been in meetings where a person has been talking and I have heard a period or a question mark at the end Mm -hmm. of what they're saying. And so I've responded and they've said, let me finish. And I'm thinking there was a question mark at the end, but now all of a sudden I'm getting smacked down and it's happened. So again, there's two sides to the coin. There's interrupter and then the person who always makes you feel like when you try to participate, you're relegated to the sidelines by being made to feel that if you insert yourself in your interrupting. So I think there's two parts here, right? I'm interrupted sometimes as a woman more often, and that's the research. I don't care what the stereotypes say about women interrupting. The research shows that women are more likely to be interrupted in the workplace so that we give up the floor more easily. Yeah, we do. So I think it's two parts that we need to really be mindful of. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And also too, what's that expression? The meaning of the communication is what the receiver hears. That's a great point. Right? So if you know that you always have a disconnect with a certain colleague or a superior or a subordinate who doesn't report to you, it's essential that you identify that and that you start to create strategies to navigate around that. But here's the other thing that uh, I want to share, and it's a little off topic, but Carol Dweck, who most of us have heard of, Growth Mindset, really teachable moments from that theory, which was created in 2006. I think that's when the book was originally written, and she's brilliant, was instead of saying, oh, my God, I handled that badly, oh, that didn't quite work out the way I thought I, it would. What would I do different next time? Because all of us are collecting data all the time, right? I love that, and I've quoted her in the same I love her. conversation when I've talked about mindset in the podcast in the past, but I think there's a, a, a thing we do sometimes. And, and again, in fairness, 
our mistakes are highly punctuated. They're more noticed and they have women. Yeah. Yes. They have a longer lasting effect. That said, we don't have to contribute to that by grabbing onto the mistake. And I, I cannot tell you how many times and I, I talked about this in the fear of failure episode, but how many times you you do an excellent job and you hit four out of five key points brilliantly, and then mm. you get the one wrong. And I think this is true of men and women. It's type A personality. Correct. But what we sometimes do is to focus in on the area you got it wrong. And then when you communicate that and someone says, hey, nice job today. And you go, oh, I made that mistake. Yikes. And then you're just undermining as opposed to saying, well, you know, it's a bummer that I made that one mistake, but I'm really glad that those other four points came across as powerfully as they did. And overall, I'm really happy how it went. And it's a little Jedi mind trick, but it's Correct. about owning the narrative ourselves and saying, no, 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 yes. I'm not going to contribute to a narrative that undermines me. And I think it really can work. Uh, okay. Yeah. You got it wrong. When you give a presentation over and over and you do a great job and you get it wrong one time and I'm working on this, honestly, Lisa, I am working on it, but how wonderful to go. Yeah. Flubbed it. It's all oh, good. Well. Good thing I get 10,000 opportunities. And, you know, most of the time it comes across pretty damn well. One thing I can tell you about the podcast that's been awesome, it helps so much with that because there is no such thing as a 25 to 30 minute podcast where I don't have mistakes. <laughs> and I, and I make my, well, I make myself listen in part to just get used to it and say, you know what? Perfection's not on the table. You're going to make mistakes and you're going to have to wrap your brain around and get comfortable with it and believe and trust that the good moments will be enough, right? That you get it right often enough that in the big picture, people aren't going to just look to those small things, right? And those you're never going to please the people who always look to the one mistake and you're never going to not make a mistake. So when you take perfection off the table and you understand that you can't please everyone, easier said than done, right? I do think it's helpful. Yeah. And quite honestly, as women, the way our brains are situated, we ruminate. Yeah, We think about how can I do it better? How can I do it better? And then you just have to stop yourself and go, hold on. My intention was not to make a mistake. That happened and it didn't diminish the work. It did not diminish the work. So when we take it back to what is the motivation, just like any of, you know, managing male pattern misbehavior is what I call it. Any of these things, man interrupting, (laughs) uh, appropriating, any of it, you just want to ask yourself, what is my intention? Is it to take out the Xena princess warrior sword and slice off his head? No, it's to redirect. And manage so that the person you're interacting with understands this is not serving any of us. Well, and I love the way that brings it back to our conversation about, because you see, it's always connected. It always comes back. (laughs) I do sometimes think even it bothers us too much. Like I've said, even in this episode, well, you know, the balloon deflates when someone interrupts. I'm like, well, that's part on me, right? I've got to not allow that derailing. I, and I think what you've said on other parts of this that are so applicable across the board, be prepared that you're going to be interrupted. And when it does, You may or may not address it on the spot. You may or may not have a clever or funny retort. You don't always know. You may have something in your pocket that you've come prepared with, which I think is a great piece of advice, but you also may just move on from it and and recognize that it it probably did not have the impact to everyone else in the big picture that it had on you. And I think that that's a great way to think about it as well. And I also want to add, none of this is one and done. We're in a system that is incredibly entrenched. 
I, I was listening to a podcast of yours earlier, and we look at cultural expectations, societal norms. There are so many different types of biases specific to the umbrella we call gender bias. So many right. real big trenches, landmines we got to walk through, and it's a process. And some days are going to be better than others. But the thing is, is to come back to what is my motivation here? What is my intention? I'm trying to make it better. I also love that, you know, these are big problems. And the problem with big big problems is they can feel insurmountable or, wow, we're not going to fix that. And I love what you're saying. It's a process, right? Mm -hmm. We are in a process and having an impact and we're chipping away at it. I mean, it's unfortunate that we have to chip away, but chipping away, we must, right? So we exactly coming at it with these small steps, these little things we can do over and over and over. We're not going to get it right every time. We're going to keep getting better at it and we're going to keep chipping away at the problem because if we don't do that and we accept that it's just this huge problem that's insurmountable, that's not a very good option for us either. It's not life. Why are we going to roll over and play dead? We're alive. Let's yeah, own, you've used the words, own your narrative. And I right, say own right. our agency because we can move the needle. And yeah, it's hard, but why should that stop us? Absolutely. And that's what we're doing here, right? We're trying to own the narrative. <laughs> I wanna, I'm, I'm really excited to talk about the volcano because Ooh, all the stereotypes yeah. about women being the emotional ones. So when we say emotional, we don't mean angry or passionate. We mean other kinds of emotions that are more stereotypically associated. And I've seen it over and over where certain people can be angry and mad and yell. And everyone's like, well, you know, that's just how it is. They're passionate. They're passionate. When it's a woman, it's very damaging. And I've seen so many studies. Women attorneys, there's been this huge study where when you interview their administrative assistants, the administrative assistants will be like, she's mean, she's this, she's that. But when their male attorney bosses yell or, oh, that's just part of the job and that's just how it is. Right. And it's those deeply entrenched ideals of what femininity is, what being a woman is, what traits are womenly, what masculinity. And so all that's going on. But all that is to say, what happens when we come in contact with the volcano? Because we can't always go toe to toe because it's not going to land the same. So please help me. What do I do with these emotional folks who aren't seen as emotional or the volcanoes that uh, we have to interact with? Yeah. Sometimes they are seen as volcanoes and it's it's okay because they're generating a boatload right. of revenue to the bottom line. So right. the behaviors are given. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, um, and I, I talk about this, if you look at movies, right? Like the Wolf of Wall Street, when men are like that, but they really deliver, it's like mm-hmm. look at him. But in, you know, other movies, when women are, are seen as kind of doing whatever it takes to get ahead, it doesn't land the same, right? Correct. And so if you're a volcano, even if you're delivering as a woman, I don't know that it's going to land okay. So I think that's an important point and a fair point, but again, not your fault, but it is your problem. So what are we doing with this volcano? So I want to just share one note about, uh, because I can be a volcano depending, I get this righteous indignation when I see a double standard, but here's the thing I would share to anybody in a business setting as a woman, you're going to be judged really harshly if they see you lose your cool, if they see you get frustrated, and these are, this is the words I always used. 
I have a high level of concern about the validity of this project. I'm not sure how we can successfully manage it. And then I would lean back. <laughs> but I will tell you, my second, my second job in television, I got a manager's role. First job managing people. And this guy was a screamer. He would go from zero to volume 11, and he stayed there 24-7. And what I will tell to anybody who's got a boss as a screamer, straight spine, open chest, eye contact. Do not nod. Do not nod. Do not say yes. Do not speak at all. Stare at them. And as soon as they deflate, I hear what you said. I'll handle it. And then get yourself out of the situation. I like what you're saying about, you know, sometimes there's this um, wanting to calm a person down, right? Which oh, God, don't. Our, no. It's not our responsibility, right? Exactly. So I love what you're saying about, um, you know, just listening, not nodding. It's so hard for women to do that because we're so affirming, which is such a positive thing. When people talk to us and we nod and we let them know we hear them and we're listening, right. and we give those great cues. Right. But I love this idea of just kind of sitting there. Do you think it's okay to say, Temperatures seem to be running high here. Can we reconvene when we've all that is a very come down thing. a little bit? Or, yeah, there's sometimes where it's like I don't want to say I'll take care of it. I want to go. You in my head, I'm thinking you sound a little bit like a crazy person. You cross um, the line. You're very you emotional, and and I don't feel like agreeing with you, and I'm not in a position to disagree with you in this state, and it's just not productive. And so I'm not sure how a person will respond if you say, "Hey, can we?" come back to this. But I I sometimes feel like you almost have to say, I don't know that I can take this today and I don't want to get sucked in to it and retaliate or respond in a way that brings me into that negative energy. Correct. Because a lot of times people are wanting to pull you into that negative energy, except then if there's a power difference, now you're in trouble because you've Correct. come back with that same or other people hear it, but they remember you being emotional. I think a lot of us who want to feel like we want to have voice struggle a little bit. And I think kind of saying it doesn't mean you never get to talk about it, but probably talking about it then um, isn't going to get you anywhere. So I think, you know, being able to sit there and say, you know what, I'm going to hold my head high. I'm going to look you in the eye. As you said, I'm going to square my shoulders. I'm going to take it right now. Um, I'm going to have to have a Teflon moment here and I'm going to have to absorb this because of the position we're in. Um, if they're, they're not in a position of power, I think it's easier to go, I'm not doing this. It's do not engage. Yeah. And, and when you're talking with a superior, that idea of straight spine, eye contact, no nodding, no agreement, keep your chest open so that you, know, you don't get defensive with it. That is not engaging. Now, I'm going to steal what you just said, though, as a mantra. Do not engage. I can see myself in this meeting. And instead of focusing on the, the yelling, which is unproductive, focusing right. on, I hear words coming at me, but what I'm doing right now is I'm thinking about my posture. I'm thinking about my facial expression. And then I'm telling myself this mantra, do not engage. And again, I love this because it seems like you're just taking it and giving up your power. But what you're really doing is saying, no, 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 I'm going to focus on what I'm doing here. I'm going to think about the way I respond. I am not going to engage. I am going to change the way this is going to go. That's exactly right to your point. Now, if you're dealing with a colleague, the conversation is much different. And I love your approach with a colleague saying, things seem a little out of control. I'll come back when the temperature lowers. 
if you want to be a little bit more harsh is I'm not sure if something is going on somewhere else, but you're overreacting here. Yeah. I'll come back when we can have a conversation. I have to laugh. Every time you talk about this, I think about the flip side. I then think about times where I've been having a debate and I'm bringing points and the person's like, calm down. And I'm like, I'm super I calm. calm. So it's both, right? All of yeah. these things you're talking about. The other side of the coin is when somebody's telling you, narrating your storyline. And I've used this example in a previous podcast, but I remember once, you know, defending my point and a person saying you're being defensive. And I thought, no, defensive is discounting your point. I'm not Correct. doing that. I'm presenting my counterpoint. So I'm going to interrupt that. And, and sometimes the interruption is stopping the bad behavior. And sometimes the interruption is saying, I'm not going to let good. you Jedi mind trick me into thinking that it's my bad behavior here. Right. We're talking gaslighting. Right. Yes. Gaslighting is the worst out of everything. Like kind of a playing dirty to jump in with some stereotypical, you're an emotional woman kind of nonsense. I'm not going to accept that narrative. Sometimes it's true. Sometimes I am hot and emotional. And sometimes people will say, well, you're very emotional. I go, yeah, I am. You're right. I, I think that this situation calls for emotion. And other times I'll go, you're right. I need to take a, a breather. And other times I'll go, I, I don't, see that. And I I don't think I'm going to own it um, and let you decide the terms of how emotional I'm allowed to be. Exactly. I heard this great, so short and to the point, this was from a client of mine who's an executive, very senior male dominated business. That's all I'm going to say about it. Someone would start gaslighting her and she'd go, oh, uh, no, try again. So she would stand up if she was at her desk or you know, on a Zoom call, which most of us are these days, she would take off her headset or take out her earplugs. She'd kind of look off. She'd put them back in and she'd go, try again. I love it. <laughs> Just not accepting it. We don't have to necessarily <laughs> accept the narrative that's being put forth. I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't be open to criticism or critique. That's but there is a moment too where you Right. When you know yourself and you go, yeah, I know that that can happen. That's just not at all that what's happening here. And I'm going to just Correct. interrupt that and, and not Correct. have that. Correct. And that's what we find with the Joker. This is the guy who's always inappropriate. Ah, perfect. Our final right. one, the Joker. I've been curious about where we were going with the Jokers. So oh, what do my you got for goodness. Well, ultimately, that's the biggest gaslight is, oh, you're so sensitive. I was just making a joke. I like, I think of this as almost the coward. I want, yes. to, I want yes. to be passive aggressive. I want Correct. to say what I have to say, but then I'm not willing to take my licks when you challenge me back. And I'm going to make it seem like you're just being sensitive. It's like, well, no, if you said it, own it. Correct. That I can live with. I can actually live with your commentary if you're willing to own it. But when you say it, make me feel exactly what you meant me to feel. And then turned it into, to your point, the the biggest gaslight of all, that now I'm being sensitive. It also has a long-term negative consequence of making women not feel like they can speak out in general. As if they're going to be seen as, again, pulling in those old stereotypes. Oh, you're too sensitive. What do I do when somebody pulls this? Oh my gosh. Well, there's a lot of ways to go about it. And again, it's going to be different if it's a superior, someone who is more senior to you versus someone who's a colleague. And if it's a subordinate, and I'm just going to say this outright, don't ever say that again. That behavior is not accepted in a professional setting. That's, like that's, a, that's a subordinate. A colleague, you really want to try and give them the benefit of the doubt, even though maybe it is purely from a place of being passive aggressive and they could be testing you. 
So yeah. here's the thing. If they're testing you, you got to set down that boundary. And you could start out by saying, I don't think that was your intention to make me feel bad or less than, but that's the reaction I'm having. And if they say you're being sensitive, what do you say? This is not professionally accepted behavior. That is something that you would do with your friends in a bar. We're not in a bar. We're doing business. You just like, you don't let them go anywhere with that. that Right. You don't own that. It's sensitive. I think that's a really good point. I think the most important thing you said, so important, the key takeaway is that you set that boundary. I don't care if you think I'm sensitive. It is my boundary to set and I'm setting it. Part of me wants to go, oh, that was a joke. You forgot to bring the funny. You know, I mean, like- Awesome, that works really well. So many times where I'm like, well, if that that. was a joke, it wasn't very funny. So maybe if you had made it funny, I would have gotten it as a joke. Instead, it just felt um, like you were minimizing. Being stupid? You were being stupid. (laughs) Yeah, you're minimizing me. That doesn't feel funny. And I think that is an appropriate way to deal with a colleague. Absolutely. Yeah. Like you throw it right back at them. It's just kind of funny to be like, oh, I didn't catch the the humor in that. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> oh, I mean, with a superior, you could do really easily. Oh, that was a joke. Oh, I missed that. <laughs> yeah. And then lean back and sorry, I'm still talking. learning your sense of humor. Well, and what you're really thinking is, I'm still learning that your sense of humor is about is non-existent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, okay, this is so much, Lisa, so much useful information, so many takeaways, and so much I know I'm going to be thinking about and implementing, and hopefully others will be doing the same. I'm sure they will. And I know that you are actually working at making this information even more accessible to the masses with a book that you have in the works. So I wanted to let you give us a little sneak preview. And then, of course, when the book comes out, I'm going to demand that you come back and we talk about the book a little bit more. But give us a little sneak peek here. So the book title, after much discussion, is The Practical Guide for Mental Toughness for Women in the Workspace. How to feel good when you say no. Love it. Love how to feel good when you say no. Had a whole episode about that. The art and agony of saying no. Exactly. Can't wait to read the book. Can't wait to have a little bit more time with your wisdom. And so I really am looking forward to that. And every episode I end with what I call a manifest statement, a kind of practical key takeaway for how what we've talked about can manifest in practice. And as we've been talking, I was reminded of how Ruth Bader Ginsburg once said, Mm -hmm. Real change, enduring change happens one step at a time. Right. And I love this because we're talking about a lot of small things, but the little things we do can either normalize or challenge the way things have always been done. And I love how you've given us some practical tools that can be used on a regular basis to challenge the status quo and pragmatically work towards being a part of that real and enduring change. I cannot thank you enough. I've enjoyed this so, so much. Um, And until you're back on with the book later, can you tell our listeners where they can find you and how they can get in touch with you? And I'll also include it in uh, the notes to the episode. Awesome. Awesome. I have to say this was so much fun. The easiest way to reach out to me is just to drop me an email, lisa at bigsky, B-I-G-S-K-Y dot coach. All my social media tags are on the response. I'd love any comments or questions. My intention here is to get more women of all colors into senior management so that we can be the change that makes the difference. 
Absolutely. And we will always be aligned in that goal, Lisa. So I look forward to more conversations. I am so thrilled to have had you on the show today. It has truly been a real pleasure. Thank you. For more resources, you can visit my website, www.advancingwomenpodcast.com and connect on Instagram at Advancing Women Podcast. I love getting your feedback and ideas on topics, so please email me at drdsimone at advancingwomenpodcast.com with your ideas and feedback. I just want to thank Joe Jacobs, the audio warrior who wrote the music for this podcast, and a huge thanks to Heather Harris, the creative warrior who designed the Advancing Women podcast logo, and thanks to all of you for joining me here today.